You're listening to the audio ministries of First Baptist Church of Troy, Texas. You're invited to join us for live and in-person morning worship every Sunday morning at 1045 a.m. Visit fbctroytx.org for a list of our activity times and family-centered community ministries. Now here's today's message. We're going to be looking at the Song of Solomon. The Song of Solomon, or your Bibles may have the Song of Songs. It all depends upon uh, how they chose to translate that. Uh, the Song of Solomons are the Song of Songs. And this is going to be a little bit different because we're going to cover the whole book, uh, but there's not going to be any points. I told Kathy that. I said, this sermon I've got today, it's not going to have any points to it. She said, it's a pointless sermon. And I'm not quite sure about all that, but uh, hopefully it will be pointless, but it will have a point uh, in all of this. And so uh, part of what we're going to be doing, too, is uh, I'm going to be referencing some of the verses, but we're not going to be showing them up on the screens, just so you have a reference point if you want to jot them down. Uh, I won't be reading them, but just kind of referencing on them because uh, we want to hit this whole book because truly it's through the whole book that we find Christ. We see him throughout the Song of Solomon. And when you first read the Song of Solomon, it can actually be kind of confusing. You're going along and you're going, now wait a minute, what is this? And there seems to be a lot of now, then thinking back to the past, then coming back to the present, then going back to the past, looking forward to the future, etc. And so it, it can be a little bit confusing. It's kind of like a, a lot of pieces of a jigsaw puzzle. Have you ever tried to put a jigsaw puzzle? You don't do something, give somebody a jigsaw puzzle and don't show them the picture of what it's supposed to be. You won't talk about them spending a lot of time putting something together. It's real confusing. But once you see the picture, you know, you know what it's supposed to be. So you have an idea of how to put it all together. And so what, what I want us to do this morning quickly is to, is to look at the overall picture first that we see in this uh, book. And then we're going to be able to see how and where all the pieces fit together of Christ that we see uh, in the Song of Solomon. So first we need to uh, understand the overall picture or the overall story and then fit the pieces together so we see Christ. And, And what we'll find as we start reading this book is that it is a romance involving Solomon and Shulamite. Solomon and Shulamite. Now, uh, whether or not that is her name, or that is the tribe that she came from, or the village from which she came, uh, it's debated. Uh, Scholars debate on this. Theologians debate. They're not quite sure uh, what it is, because we only find Shulamite in in, uh, chapter 6, verse 13. That's the only place that we find it. Otherwise, she is nameless. But it doesn't matter. I'm going to call her Shulamite, just because so we can differentiate, so we can know. And as you read this song, because this is a song, it's a song that was written. As you read this song, it seems to be two men interested in the girl. You seem to have a lowly shepherd that's interested in her, and you seem to have a majestic king that's interested in her so as you read it you've got to decide this is either two men or it's one man and two roles and that's exactly what it is it in the song in this song solomon is both the shepherd and 
the king. So remember that as we go through here. So here's a quick synopsis of the story. Shulamite lives with her mother and brothers. She apparently, according to uh, uh, chapter 6, verse 9, is the only daughter that is in that family. And theologians think they possibly have inherited from their father, each one of them have inherited a vineyard, the brothers and her have, have uh, inherited a vineyard. And for a reason that's going to be revealed by the story, her brothers are upset with her. They are angry with her. And they made her work very hard tending to their vineyards. Okay? And as a result, she has neglected her vineyard. Do not stare at me because I am dark, for the sun has gazed on me. My mother's sons were angry with me. Or my mother's sons, that's her brothers, are, were angry with me. They made me a keeper of the vineyards. I have not kept my own vineyard. Now this also means that she had neglected her own physical appearance. She's become burnt and tanned by all the time that she has spent in the sun. Her, her skin has probably gotten leathery and, and dry because of her always being out in the vineyard. And, she, and, and we see that she thinks of herself as just an ordinary, common girl. She says, I am the Rose of Sharon, the Lily of the Valleys. Now we see that and we think, oh no, a Rose of Sharon, but she must be something beautiful. She must be something fantastic. No, not at all. The Rose of Sharon was not the rose that we think of. The Lily of the Valley was not like the beautiful lily that you might think of. These were just common everyday wildflowers. Weeds. Okay? That's it. They were weeds. And so... She's saying that there's nothing special about her. That's what this is actually saying. There's nothing special about me. But Solomon, who has seen a lot of beauty, I mean, how many wives and concubines did this man have, right? I mean, he's seen a lot of beauty. He sees her as very beautiful. How beautiful you are, my darling. How very beautiful. So Solomon sees her as beautiful. And, and as I thought about that, and as I read those and put those two together, I could not help but think that's how the Lord sees us. As uniquely beautiful and precious to Him, no matter how common or how unlovely we might think we are. God sees us as beautiful. So, and the first three chapters of this song opens up with her sitting at the table on the first day of the wedding feast with Solomon and the unmarried daughters of Jerusalem. And what she does in these first three chapters, she tells them how she and Solomon met, how they fell in love and, and the waiting time and the wedding and, and how she looks forward to their first night together. They have not gone on their honeymoon yet. And in her story, what we find out is that King Solomon takes a break from his royal duties in Jerusalem. And he goes into the country for a vacation to inspect his vineyards and his herds of sheep. But Solomon, he's king, and you as a king, you just don't go somewhere. and People just start coming and mobbing you and seeing you and pointing at you and all that good stuff. Solomon didn't want to be noticed. So what Solomon did, he dressed like a shepherd and he comes and to go see. So he looks like a common, everyday, lowly shepherd. 
And it's in this disguise that he comes across Shulamite working in the vineyards. And immediately, dink, love at first sight. He likes her. He's attracted to her. Now, Shulamite has no idea who Solomon is. They didn't have TVs. They didn't have photographs. They didn't have that stuff there, right? She had no idea who this lowly shepherd guy that kept hanging around and talking to her was. What we have here for you Hallmark Channel fans is a classic romantic plot of a Hallmark Channel movie. Rich King comes dressed as an ordinary man and falls in love with an ordinary girl. Wow. See, Hallmark's got nothing on the Bible. And shortly after their first visit, or after the first meeting, you know, he goes his way, and afterwards, shortly afterwards, he, he once again finds her, and she's resting under, and chapter 2, verse 3 tells us, she's resting under an apricot tree outside her home, and there they fall in love for sure. Now, some of your versions, if you look at that uh, verse and chapter, some of your versions are going to say apple tree. And really, we're really not quite sure which one it is. It was one or the other. It was either an apricot or an apple tree. And I like apricot, so I'm going with that. Not that I dislike apples, okay? But I just, apricot. And so they enjoy a wonderful courtship in the countryside. Again, Shulamite and the shepherd. Shulamite and the shepherd. Remember, that's who she thinks she is dealing with, a common, lowly, everyday shepherd and falls in love with him. That's how Solomon presents himself to her. And, and it seems as we read through here that she, uh, in, in chapter 1, verses 7 and 8, she has questioned him to try to find him. She's tried to find him amongst the shepherds. She's gone around going, where's this guy? Where's he at? She goes to different flocks. She can't find him. She questions him and, to find out where he is living, and he's evasive with his answers. He doesn't tell her. It's like, well, why are you looking for me? Why should you? You know, don't worry about it. That type thing. This was because he wanted to keep his kingly identity a mystery. Because he didn't want to spoil what he had going. He didn't want to spoil the courtship that he had going. And finally, finally, this, uh, this ordinary, run-of-the-mill shepherd proposes marriage to her. And it's then that he reveals who he is, that he's the king. Now then, she's only known him as a shepherd. Now he says, I'm the king. She's got two choices. One's to believe him or the other go, boy, are you nuts. Right? She has, to, she has to take him for his word that he's the king. But the thing is, by now, she has come to know and trust him. And so she believes him. And she, and, and she accepts his offer of marriage. And they become engaged to each other. And Solomon now says, okay, I'm engaged. And back in that day, you got engaged and you went back to your house to prepare a place for your wife. So Solomon returns to Jerusalem to prepare a place for Shulamite. Shulamite stays where she is. Solomon leaves. And he promises to return for her and take her as his wife. Meanwhile, while he's away, 
She has to trust that, uh, that he's going to keep his word and she needs to prepare herself for his coming back to get her. And she prepares herself to leave home and to live with Solomon as his wife. Now, during this time, as we read this in chapters 3 and verses 1 through 4, during this time, she has dreams that, that reveal that she has a fear that, that Solomon just had a vacation romance. That was it. That he doesn't really love her and that he's going to forget her and won't come back for her. But the thing is, those fears were not based on the reality of Solomon's love. Solomon loved her. In this, we see also the doubts of some believers that Jesus can really love them and will come back for them. And those fears are also not based on the reality of Jesus' love for them. Trust me, Jesus loves you. He's coming back for you. You don't have to be afraid that He's not going to do it. Now, Solomon's away. Can you imagine as she goes and tells her friends, I'm engaged? I'm engaged? You know that young man that I've been spending all that time with? Well, you're not going to believe it, but he's the king. Yeah, I can see her friends going, yeah, right. Her family going, whoop, you slipped a cog, right? He proposed to me and I said yes. And he's gone back to Jerusalem. Go, well, where is he? We want to meet. Well, he's not here anymore. He's gone back to Jerusalem uh, to, to fix a place for me. So he's going to come back for me and I'm, I'm going to be his wife and I'm going to be the queen. We read in here that they all thought she lost touch with reality. That she was being carried away by fairy tales. That she was being fooled by an adventurer, if you will. So her brothers, in order to bring her back to reality, put her to hard work in their vineyards. Remember I said earlier that her brothers were upset with her? It's because they said, what you're telling us? No, it cannot be. They just knew the king would not be interested in simple, common folk like her. But just like in any Hallmark movie, what always happens at the end of the Hallmark movie, right? Yeah, here he comes, right? Solomon returns. This time he doesn't come as a shepherd. This time he comes as the king, dressed in all of his glory. What is this coming up from the wilderness like columns of smoke, scented with myrrh and frankincense from every fragrant power of the merchant? It is Solomon's royal litter surrounded by 60 warriors from the mighty of Israel. All of them are skilled with swords and trained in warfare. Each has his sword at his side to guard against the terror of the night. They see this entourage coming. Who is it? Who is it? Who is it? And they realize it could only be King Solomon himself. Solomon has come for his bride and her family and friends they watch as he gets off his horse and he enters into her house and he picks her up and carries her away and he takes her back to jerusalem where they are immediately married and there's a wedding feast and at the end of the feast 
She went to the garden where Solomon surprises her by coming with the royal chariot to whisk her away for their honeymoon in the country. And as they leave Jerusalem, as you look at this in, in, uh, in uh, chapter 6 and verses 8 and then 10 and 13, as they leave Jerusalem, he publicly declares his love for her. And the people all agree and they call out praises and blessings for her. And they honeymoon in the countryside. You see that in chapter uh, 7 and chapter 8. And they revisit her home and family in, in chapter 8 and verse 5. And, and, and this sparks off memories of their courtship and, and their engagement in chapter 8 verses 1 through 7. And apparently she has a very lovely voice because Solomon asks her to sing for him. And, and, and the song ends... This, this book ends with her singing a song of invitation to love in chapter 8, verse 14. Have you all stayed with me so far? Okay. This is the book. I, you know, I sent out an email encouraging you to read it so you kind of have a picture of what's going on. I encourage you to go back and read it again and think about these things. Because in all of this, in all of this that we have looked at, we see a picture of Jesus. Think about this. In all of this, we see a picture of Jesus. Jesus is our shepherd king, is he not? Jesus is our bridegroom. Jesus left his throne in heaven and he took off his glorious kingly clothes and he came and lived among us dressed just like us in human flesh his kingly majesty was was veiled and he came looking for a bride the first time he came he presented himself to us as the good shepherd who loves and cares for us he kept his kingly glory hidden what does he say here i am the good shepherd, right? Jesus was not dressed as a king who demands our obedience by force, but in humility as the one who wins our love by his goodness and his love for us. 1 John 4, 19, we love him because he first loved us. He wants us to know him first as the good shepherd who lays down his life for us. His sheep, the good shepherd, lays down his life for the sheep. Jesus wanted to prove his love for us so that we would love him personally for who he was rather than just having to submit to his power. His proof is his giving his life for us. He wants our love. If Solomon would have presented himself as the king, Shulamite would have had to have yielded to his power out of fear or out of duty. When he said, let's go out, let's go on a date, she would say, you're the king. I can't say no to the king. But if you're a lowly shepherd, I can say no to a lowly shepherd. He, Solomon came as a, as a shepherd so she would have the ability to choose, to say yes or no. You see, Solomon wanted her to yield to his love and to freely respond to him, to freely return his love because she loved, but not out of a sense of duty. He wanted someone who loved him for who he was, not for his wealth and power. Likewise, 
Jesus, first of all, wants to have a relationship of intimate love with us. We are burnt by life. Just as Shulamite was burnt by life. We are burnt by life, but Jesus still loves us. He, he looked past our life, our present condition, our outward appearance, and saw what God made us to be and what we could become. He loved us, and He came to court and to win us by His love. Solomon said, under the apricot tree, I awakened your love. Jesus declared to us under the tree of Calvary. But God proves His own love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And just as Solomon revealed his identity to Shulamite before he left for Jerusalem, and she had to take him at his word and trust him, so likewise, Jesus also revealed He is the King of glory who loves us and will come back for us. And folks, we have to trust Him. Solomon courted Shulamite and declared his love for her and proposed to her. Likewise, Jesus courted us, declaring his special intimate love for each one of us. And he proposed to us, promising that if we would give our lives to him, we would be his and we would reign with him in glory forever. Shulamite believed him. And she accepted his proposal and they became engaged. Likewise, when we respond and we accept Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, when we accept Him as the lover of our soul, we become engaged to Him as His bride. Solomon's and Shulamite's commitment to each other is to be a model of our commitment to the Lord when we receive Him, when we are born again. Listen to these words that they said to each other. For love is, is strong as death, what did they mean when they said that? I'm ready to die for you. Jesus loved us so much, He died for us. We're to love Him so much that we are willing to die for Him. They said ardent love is as unrelenting as Sheol. What does that mean? It means I will never let you go or let another take you from me. They said to one another, if a man were to give all his wealth for love, it would be utterly scorned. What are they saying? They're saying this, you are more valuable to me than anything else. Folks, these are the words that Christ says to us and that we are to say to Him, to declare our love for Him and putting Him first in our life and in our affections. We see in the Song of Solomon, we see a picture of Christ's first coming. And then Solomon went to Jerusalem to prepare a place for his bride, promising to return to take her to be his wife. And likewise, Jesus ascended into heaven, right? To prepare a place for us. And he's going to come again a second time to take us home, to live and to reign with him forever in his father's house. That's what he says in John 14, 3. If I go away and prepare a place for you, I will come back and receive you to myself so that where I am, you may be also. And this time, he will appear to us as the king of glory. 
He's not coming as a, as a lowly carpenter this time. He's coming as the king of glory. And at that moment, at that moment when this happens, we will be united with him forever. You see, our resurrection will be the physical consummation of our relationship when we will be filled with his glory. In his second coming, he will fulfill his promise to us that we will be united with him. But between, between his first and his second comings is the waiting period. Shulamite had the waiting period. We have the waiting period. But we cannot see him. But we are to trust his promise that he is coming back for us. That's the time we are in right now. It's in this time that we are to prepare for his return for us to be taken to glory. Shulamite, Solomon Waish, man, she was preparing. She prepared herself. She made sure she was ready for when he came back. We must be ready for Jesus' return ourselves. In this time, this time of waiting, we who are his bride need to walk in faith. We can't see him. We just have his promise that he's coming back for us. Now, what did Shulamite's family think when she said she was engaged to the king and that she was now royalty? <laughs> they didn't believe her. They punished her by working her hard in the vineyards. They made fun of her, but she rejoiced in the hope of seeing Solomon again. And then all would see that what she said was true. You know, as I thought about that, I could not help but think that today, people laugh at us during this time. We Christians are being laughed at when we tell them we belong to King Jesus, who's coming again for us one day. And, 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 and today, right now in this waiting period, our faith is being tested by affliction and, and persecution. But listen to what Peter wrote in 1 Peter. He said, you rejoice in this. Though now for a short time you have had to struggle in various trials so that the genuineness of your faith, more valuable than gold, which perishes, though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor at the revelation of, Christ, of Jesus Christ. You love him, though you have not seen him. And though not seeing him now, you believe in him and rejoice with inexpressible and glorious joy. Shulamite found peace by holding on to her faith in Solomon's person, in Solomon's character, in Solomon's commitment. She strengthened herself in faith by remembering what Solomon had told her. And likewise, in this time, we too need to strengthen our trust in Christ by remembering His promises, by remembering His character, by remembering His loving faithfulness. We know that the promises of Jesus are true. He has not broken a single promise, and he's not going to. And in his second coming, Christ will appear as the king of glory and take us to his palace to reign with him. 
For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the archangel's voice, and with the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are still alive will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will, what? Always be with the Lord. The Lord himself will personally come for us and we will be united with him. Notice Solomon did not send an entourage. When you read this, he did not send an entourage to get her and take her back to him. He came personally for Shulamite. On this day, Jesus will come personally for us, his bride. And we will be united with him forever and ever. In this book, God used marriage, the, the strongest and most intimate covenant relationship that we know, as the picture of the eternal relationship between God and man. The ideal love story in, in, in the Song of Solomon reveals. Christ's purpose and love for us and how we should respond in love so that our fellowship with him is made complete. By, by presenting a picture of passionate love, it is designed to, to lead us deeper into a love relationship with our, our Lord Jesus Christ. So you see this whole book, we see Christ. We find Christ in this whole book. And in the Song of Solomon, we not only find the love of Jesus for us, but we also find who we are to be as believers. And that is lovers of Jesus. Lovers of Jesus. Christ in the Song of Solomon, he's there. We see a picture of his first coming, the wooing. The drawing because we love him. We see the waiting period of after he's gone back. And then we see his second coming when he comes in all of his glory. Christ in the Old Testament. Right there. And the thing is, is that if you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, the Song of Solomon shows you how much he loves you. He loves you. He could have left Shulamite. He could say, oh, that's a comic. No, he loved her and did everything so to make sure that she would be with him. Christ loves you so much. He has done everything to make sure you can be with him. And that is he died on the cross for you. That's how much he loves you. That's how much he loves you. He wants you to be a part of heaven with him. He wants a relationship with you. He wants an intimate relationship with you. Uh, again, you don't get in heaven because of your religion. You don't. In hell, there's Baptists and Presbyterians and Catholics and Methodists and Episcopalians. Those people tried to get in heaven with their religion. You don't get in heaven by religion. You get in heaven by a relationship. That's why marriage relationship, the two coming together. Will you? Yes. Will you? Yes. The commitment to one another. 
Christ wants a relationship with you. And for you to have that relationship, it's so easy. I mean, He's asked you by, from the cross, He's saying, will you be mine? And now you have a chance to say yes by just praying a simple prayer. Lord Jesus, forgive me of my sins. I'm asking you to come into my life and be my Lord and be my Savior. Today I say yes to you. I want to be with you forever. And I accept what you did for me on the cross. And I know I'm trusting in you for my eternity. Now there's no magic in those words. I say that every time because I want people to understand. There's no magic in the words. It's whether or not you really mean them. You can say them and not mean them. And trust me, you'll wake up in hell one day. But if you mean those words, even if you don't get them all in there, but the meaning is that one day the bridegroom's going to come for you. He's going to come in all of his glory to be, take you to be where he is forever and ever and ever. Jesus wants you there. He's done everything that he can. But it's just like when you ask somebody to marry you. They have two choices, right? Actually, maybe three. Yes? No? I'll think on it. <laughs> Jesus Christ says, hey, I want you to be mine. Will you? You got three choices. Yes. No, I don't think so. Or, I won't think on it. Trust me, you don't want to think on it too long because the time to thinking might be over sooner than you think. Oh, you don't want to say no because of what you'll be missing out on, being with the Lord forever. And you don't want to gain what saying no to Jesus gives you. That's an eternity in a place called hell. So if you've never accepted Christ as your Savior, man, see His love for you in this song of song. See His love for you. And say yes to Him. Maybe, dear believer, you know, you're thinking, man, I sure haven't been acting like His bride. My love just hadn't been shown for Him. Maybe you need to come up to this altar and just kneel and rededicate your life. Recommit your life to Him. Maybe come up to the front and sit. Or where you'll be standing in a moment, just turn around and just kneel there at the pew and just recommit your life to Him. Because look at the love that He has for you. And remember when you said, I want you to be my Lord and Savior, you said yes too to Him. He stayed fully committed to you. Have you done for Him? You need to recommit your life. Maybe you're here today and you need a church home, a place to, uh, to, to put your life, to be a part of and, uh, uh, with a church family. Man, we'd invite you if the Lord puts on your heart to come during this invitation time also. Whatever God's spoken to you, please do it. Please do it for Him. Again, a little different sermon. But definitely not pointless. Because it shows us God's love for us. Father, Lord, I pray right now that your spirit would just move in this place. That, Father, we would understand and see your love for us. That, Lord, you did not come in all your majesty and glory to this earth through Jesus, but you came like us so that we would fall in love with you for who you are. And not because of your power. In majesty, but Lord, because you love us. Lord, you give us that freedom to say yes or no. 
But Lord, I can't see how anybody could say no. Knowing how much you love them and what you want for them. So Father, I lift up anyone that does not have a relationship with Jesus today that they would say yes to him. Lord, for we who are believers, Lord, who have maybe strayed from our the way we ought to be committed to our Lord, that, Lord, we would recommit our lives to you. And, Lord, for any other decision that needs to be made, Father, we just lay these at your feet. We just pray for freedom of movement of your spirit. Lord, glorify yourself. For it's in Christ's name I pray. Amen. We'd like to personally thank you for taking the time out of your day to hear our latest message. Do us a favor and send an email to outreach at fbctroytx.org to let us know that you heard us and what you thought of the message. Remember to visit fbctroytx.org to learn more about how we support our local community. Again, thank you for listening.